Section three of the Citizens Almanac. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section three Presidential and Historical Speeches. People in the United States greatly value their current and historical leaders. Following our democratic tradition, these leaders are remembered not only for their actions, but also for their speeches and proclamations to the American people. Beginning with President George Washington's call for unity in his 1796 farewell address, American leaders often emphasized similar themes when addressing the nation. President Abraham Lincoln perhaps best expressed the concept of unity and a common civic identity during the American Civil War, when our nation's unity was severely threatened. Lincoln's speeches are also famous for referring to America with its values and democratic system as an important example for the rest of the world. Much later, Presidents Franklin D. Roosevelt and John F. Kennedy called upon these same ideas in important speeches during times of crisis, and President Ronald Reagan was clearly inspired by these principles in his call for freedom around the world during the Cold War. In this section you will also read about a leader who, rather than looking outside our borders, called on America itself to live up to its promise as a land of liberty and equality. Farewell Address, 1796, George Washington After leading the Continental Army to victory over the British during the American Revolution, George Washington was the obvious choice to become the first President of the United States. Known as the father of our country, Washington performed honorably during his two terms as President in helping form the new government and guiding the young country through several foreign and domestic crises. Early in the year 1796, Washington decided not to seek re-election for a third time and began drafting a farewell address to the American people. With the help of the former Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton, Washington completed his farewell address, and the final version was printed in Philadelphia's American Daily Advertiser on September 19, 1796. Washington was concerned that increasing geographical sectionalism and the rise of political factions would threaten the stability of the eight-year-old Constitution, and he used his address to urge Americans to unite for the long-term success of the nation. He called for a distinctly American character that concentrated on the good of the country and would avoid potentially troublesome alliances with foreign nations. On February 22, 1862, when America was engulfed in the Civil War, both houses of the U.S. Congress agreed to assemble and read aloud Washington's farewell address. This practice was later revived and performed annually by both houses of Congress. Since 1893, the U.S. Senate has observed our first president's birthday by selecting one of its members to read aloud Washington's farewell address from the Senate floor. Excerpts Citizens, by birth or choice of a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. The name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, 
must always exult the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations with slight shades of difference you have the same religion manners habits and political principles you have in a common cause fought and triumphed together the independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers sufferings and successes it is substantially true that virtue and morality is a necessary spring of popular government the rule indeed extends with more or less force to every species of free government who that is a sincere friend to it can look with indifference upon attempts to shake the foundation of the fabric promote then as an object of primary importance institutions for general diffusion of knowledge in proportion as the structure of a government gives force to public opinion it is essential that the public opinion should be enlightened first inaugural address eighteen sixty one abraham lincoln abraham lincoln was sworn in as the sixteenth president of the united states on march fourth eighteen sixty one this was a difficult time in our nation's history the issues of how much control the federal government should have over the states and whether to permit slavery in the newly acquired western territories divided the nation in december eighteen sixty shortly after lincoln's election was declared final the state of south carolina seceded from the union by february eighteen sixty one six additional states seceded and formed the confederate states of america under provisional president jefferson davis in an effort to calm the fears of the southern states lincoln turned to four historic documents when preparing his inaugural remarks each of these references was concerned with states rights daniel webster's eighteen thirty reply to robert y hayne president andrew jackson's nullification proclamation of eighteen thirty two henry clay's compromise speech of eighteen fifty and the constitution of the united states lincoln believed that secession was illegal and as chief executive it was his responsibility to preserve the union the resulting speech was a message of unity to a troubled nation excerpts by the frame of the government under which we live this same people have wisely given their public servants but little power for mischief and have with equal wisdom provided for the return of that little to their own hands at very short intervals while the people retain their virtue and vigilance no administration by any extreme of wickedness or folly can very seriously injure the government in the short space of four years i am loath to close we are not enemies but friends we must not be enemies though passion may have strained it must not break our bonds of affection the mystic chords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union when again touched as surely they will be by the better angels of our nature gettysburg address eighteen sixty three abraham lincoln considered one of the most important speeches in american history 
abraham lincoln's gettysburg address successfully expressed the principles of liberty and equality that the united states was founded upon and proudly honored those that fought and perished for the survival of the union during his remarks he spoke of a new birth of freedom for the nation lincoln delivered this speech at the dedication of the soldiers national cemetery at gettysburg on november nineteenth eighteen sixty three the entire speech lasted just two minutes the battle of gettysburg took place july one to three eighteen sixty three in the rural town of gettysburg pennsylvania roughly fifty miles northwest of baltimore maryland confederate forces led by general robert e lee's army of northern virginia invaded union territory seeking to take the war out of virginia and put the union army in a vulnerable defensive position general lee's soldiers fought the union's army of the potomac under the command of general george g meade when the fighting ended on july three the two sides suffered more than forty five thousand casualties making it one of the bloodiest battles to date confederate forces retreated back to virginia on the night of july four eighteen sixty three and the battle of gettysburg is considered by most scholars to be the turning point in the american civil war gettysburg address four score and seven years ago our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure we are met on a great battlefield of that war we have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that the nation might live it is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this but in a larger sense we cannot dedicate we cannot consecrate we cannot hollow this ground the brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract the world will little note nor long remember what we say here but it can never forget what they did here it is for us the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under god shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth the four freedoms 1941 franklin d roosevelt in january 1941 as much of europe had fallen victim to the advancing army of nazi germany franklin d roosevelt began his unprecedented third term as president of the united states 
Great Britain was finding it increasingly difficult to hold off the aggressive German army, and Roosevelt considered the Germans to be a significant threat to the U.S. national security. During his annual State of the Union address on January 6, 1941, Roosevelt pledged his support for Great Britain by continuing aid and increasing production at war industries in the United States. By aiding in the war effort, Roosevelt explained that the United States would be protecting the universal freedoms and liberties to which all people are entitled, not just Americans. In his speech, Roosevelt staunchly defended democracy around the world and stated that the United States would not be intimidated by the threats of dictators. He concluded by eloquently describing four essential human freedoms that the United States hoped to secure and extend to all individuals. These universal freedoms were freedom of speech and expression, freedom of every person to worship God in his own way, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. In 1943, following America's entry into World War II, artist Norman Rockwell captured the idea of these four basic freedoms in a series of paintings published in the popular magazine The Saturday Evening Post. The paintings served as the centerpiece of an exhibition that toured the United States to help raise money for the war effort. Excerpts I address you, members of the 77th Congress, at a moment unprecedented in the history of the Union. I use the word unprecedented because at no previous time has American security been as seriously threatened from without as it is today. As a nation, we may take pride in the fact that we are soft-hearted, but we cannot afford to be soft-headed. Just as our national policy in internal affairs has been based upon decent respect for the rights and the dignity of all our fellow men within our gates, so our national policy in foreign affairs has been based on a decent respect for the rights and dignity of all nations, large and small. And the justice of morality must and will win in the end. In future days, which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. The second is freedom of every person to worship God in his own way everywhere in the world. The third is freedom from want, which translated into world terms means economic understandings which will secure to every nation a healthy peacetime life for its inhabitants everywhere in the world. The fourth is freedom from fear, which, translated into world terms, means a worldwide reduction of armaments to such a point and in such a thorough fashion that no nation will be in a position to commit an act of physical aggression against any neighbor anywhere in the world. That is no vision of a distant millennium. It is a definite basis for a kind of world attainable in our own time and generation. That kind of world is the very antithesis of the so-called new order of tyranny which the dictators seek to create with the crash of a bomb. To that new order, we oppose the greater conception, 
the moral order a good society is able to face schemes of world domination and foreign revolutions alike without fear since the beginning of our american history we have been engaged in change in a perpetual peaceful revolution a revolution which goes on steadily quietly adjusting itself to changing conditions without the concentration camp or the quicklime in the ditch the world order which we seek is the cooperation of free countries working together in a friendly civilized society this nation has placed its destiny in the hands and heads and hearts of its millions of free men and women and its faith in freedom under the guidance of god freedom means the supremacy of human rights everywhere our support goes to those who struggle to gain those rights or keep them our strength is our unity of purpose to that high concept there can be no end save victory inaugural address john f kennedy nineteen sixty one in nineteen sixty john f kennedy defeated richard m nixon to become the thirty-fifth president of the united states a world war ii hero and former representative and senator from massachusetts kennedy and his young family brought an optimistic youthful spirit to the white house at the time america's cold war struggle with the communist-led union of soviet socialistic republics was becoming increasingly volatile around the world from germany to cuba to southeast asia tension between u s supported forces and soviet supported forces threatened to unleash a devastating nuclear exchange on january twentieth nineteen sixty one kennedy delivered his inaugural address on the steps of the u s capitol in washington d c his remarks focused on the crucial foreign policy issues of the time in stating that the united states would pay any price bear any burden he was signaling america's resolve to support the forces of freedom in the face of the communist challenge kennedy however also presented an alternate vision calling on the soviets and americans to pursue arms control negotiations and the struggle against the common enemies of man tyranny poverty disease and war itself as a young president kennedy saw himself as part of a new generation of americans and he was not afraid to ask his generation to work toward a better world in the most famous part of the speech kennedy challenged americans to move beyond self-interest and work for their country saying ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country excerpts we observe today not a victory of party but a celebration of freedom symbolizing an end as well as a beginning signifying renewal as well as change for i have sworn before you and almighty god the same solemn oath our forebearers prescribed nearly a century and three-quarters ago the world is very different now for man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life and yet the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought 
are still at issue around the globe the belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state but from the hand of god we dare not forget today that we are the heirs of that first revolution let the word go forth from this time and place to friend and foe alike that the torch has been passed to a new generation of americans born in this century tempered by war disciplined by a hard and bitter peace proud of our ancient heritage and unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed and to which we are committed today at home and around the world let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we shall pay any price bear any burden meet any hardship support any friend oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty in the long history of the world only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger i do not shrink from this responsibility i welcome it i do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation the energy the faith the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it and the glow from that fire can truly light the world and so my fellow americans ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country my fellow citizens of the world ask not what america will do for you but what together we can do for the freedom of man finally whether you are citizens of america or citizens of the world ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you with a good conscience our only sure reward with history the final judge of our deeds let us go forth to lead the land we love asking his blessings and his help but knowing that here on earth god's work must truly be our own i have a dream martin luther king jr 1963 on august 28 1963 nearly 250,000 people gathered in washington dc as part of the march on washington for jobs and freedom the demonstrators marched from the washington monument to the lincoln memorial where individuals from all segments of society called for civil rights and equal protection for all citizens regardless of color or background the last speaker of the day was dr martin luther king jr whose i have a dream speech encompassed the ideals set forth in the declaration of independence that all men are created equal king's message of freedom and democracy for all people of all races and backgrounds is remembered as the landmark statement of the civil rights movement in the united states the following year congress passed the civil rights act of 1964 which prohibited segregation in public places provided for the integration of public schools and facilities and made employment on the basis of race or ethnicity illegal this act was the most comprehensive civil rights legislation since the reconstruction era 
following the American Civil War. Excerpts I say to you today, my friends, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This will be the day, this will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every mountainside let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, Free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty we are free at last. Remarks at the Brandenburg Gate, 1987, Ronald Reagan On June 12, 1987, President Ronald Reagan delivered a formal address to the people of West Berlin in front of the Brandenburg Gate, a once proud symbol of German unity. At the time, a wall surrounding West Berlin separated the city from East Berlin and other areas of East Germany. The barrier, known as the Berlin Wall, was heavily guarded, and East Germany's communist government did not allow its people access to West Berlin. The Berlin Wall was a symbol of the tyranny that restrained freedom and individual liberty throughout the communist bloc of Eastern Europe. Because of the gate's proximity to East Berlin, Reagan's speech could be heard on the eastern side of the wall as well. In his remarks, he spoke of the increasing divide between the freedom and prosperity of the West and the political slavery of communist Eastern Europe, dominated at the time by the Union of Soviet Socialistic Republics. Reagan imagined a world in which East and West were united in freedom rather than oppression. He believed that ultimately totalitarianism and oppression could not suppress the freedoms that are entitled to all individuals. Reagan's direct challenge to Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, saying, If you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, is considered by many to have affirmed the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the end of the communist stronghold over Eastern Europe. Excerpts Behind me stands a wall that encircles the free sectors of this city, part of a vast system of barriers that divide the entire continent of Europe. From the Baltic south, 
those barriers cut across germany in a gash of barbed wire concrete dog runs and guard towers further south there may be no visible no obvious wall but there remain armed guards and checkpoints all the same still a restriction on the right to travel still an instrument to impose upon ordinary men and women the will of a totalitarian state yet it is here in berlin where the wall emerges most clearly here cutting across your city where the news photos and the television screen have imprinted this brutal division of a continent upon the mind of the world standing before the brandenburg gate every man is a german separated from his fellow-men every man is a berliner forced to look upon a scar general secretary gorbachev if you seek peace if you seek prosperity for the soviet union and eastern europe if you seek liberalization come here to this gate mr gorbachev open this gate mr gorbachev tear down this wall End of section 3